Good to see you guys, everybody. Bang Bang Niner Gang. So fun to see all you uh, red shirts out there. So glad to have you. Hey, uh, I don't know, have you guys ever taken strength finders? That's like one of the things in your world. Like, I think what's so fun is figuring out what are you great at and, uh, and then get after it, right? And what's great is to realize what are you not great at and then make sure you find people in your life who are great at it. And, um, and one of the things I'm not great at is uh, expressing my emotions well. And I'm growing in that. But you know who is great at that? Is, uh, is Pastor Jeff. Is that right? Dude, Pastor Jeff, uh, I'm just going to brag on him for a minute. He is the most inspiring human being on the planet. And what's so fun is we are so blessed because on a Sunday morning, right, the way that he helps us, our hearts come alive with who Jesus is, like what God made him do. He loves it. And, uh, and listen, I've known Jeff for, gosh, a long time now, come up close to two decades. And, uh, and for the first 10 years, I'm super like, whoa, like this is really hard to get near Jeff because he's so passionate. He loves Jesus so much. And I'm like, there's like this aura around him. And I'm like trying to get in there all the time because I want to understand how do you have such huge passion around Jesus? And what's great is he leverages that gift for, for the church, which is super fun. But the more you get to know Jeff, you realize he's passionate about everything, Right? <laughs> This is the best cup of coffee ever. If he gets stuck, if his flight gets canceled, he's like, this is the best adventure ever. Like every single thing is like the most inspiring thing. And uh, when we first started working together almost 20 years ago, um, he would talk about, oh, I love running. I love long running. Long running is God's gift. It is the most incredible thing. And listen, I was like 31. I was like a Cheeto uh, fingers, you know, youth pastor who like my, the most exercise I ever did was like playing Nintendo track and field, you know, rubbing the buttons as fast as I can. But Jeff spoke about running in such a way that I'm like, I'm going to be a runner. I am going to be a runner. And, uh, and so I went out by myself and I ran and I died because running sucks. Like it's the worst thing ever. And so I come and I, I talk to Jeff, I go to his office, I'm like, hey, the way you talked about it is not how I experienced this <laughs> at all. And what you don't realize is for as warm-hearted and as inspiring as Jeff is, the truth is he's actually the Mandalorian. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but the Mandalorian has such a hardcore code of ethic and uh, code of ethics. And whatever happens is whenever he starts living his life, whenever he starts doing the code of ethics, he goes, this is the way. You ever understand the show, right? This is the way, whenever something happens. And, uh, and so I go into his office and I complain to Jeff. I'm like, dude, this was not inspiring. He's always like, well, this is not the way. And he says, come to my office, opens up his spreadsheets, opens up all of his like the way. And uh, he says, this is how you do it. And you run nice and slowly. I'm like, but this is so embarrassing to run slowly. He's like, no, this is the way. And so I'd run very slowly. And then we'd get to talk. And like, we, like once a week, we'd go on these runs together. And we'd run so slowly. And I'd feel all insecure and all bad about it. And he's like, no, this is the way. And we ended up getting an hour, right, of just visiting and being together. And then uh, I remember this one time, I go out on this big old fat run out on Tamales Point. He's because, you know, Jeff explains is the beauty of running through the elk, the Thule elk. And you get to the point in the ocean and God's spirit. And I'm like, I'm doing that thing. <laughs> And uh, so I go out there and there is this massive hill, like the most incredible mountain of all time. And I'm like, what am I going to do? But in my mind, I'm like, Jeff's older than me and Jeff can run this. Then I better run this thing. And so I run up this hill in the sand and I'm dying. And I come back and I'm like, dude, again, all you do is talk about how inspiring something is. And this is the worst thing ever. He's like, that is not the way. You're supposed to walk up the hills. This is the way. Changed my life. So for years now, 
Jeff is, this is the way, and what I love about Jeff the most is, for as inspiring as he is, um, there's actually a method to all of his madness. And, uh, and I bring that up because I think what happens in our walk with God, we, we, we take our spirituality and we make it this mystery that only special people can have access to. And we all wire differently. We all engage God differently. And so it feels like this mysterious thing that only a few people will have this like inner touch with. But the reality is, is that there is a way. Like Jesus was the ultimate Mandalorian. He's like, no, there is a way. It's not rocket science. In fact, it's very simple. You run um, at a very slow pace, you walk up the hills. Like it's, these are the things. And when you do those things, you actually grow in your walk with God and you live this transformed life and you are part of being the, part of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning as we wrap up this, this series about the gospel, which is so, so good. And I hope that you understand that we cannot believe how much God loves us, how much he cares about us, how much he's transformed us. And not only has he done that for us, he now wants us to give away our stories, right? Um, our community, our gifts and our resources, our love. And today he actually also wants us to give away the way. Because this connection with God, God's love for us, and the way of God is not a mysterious thing that only special people get. This walk with God is a thing for all of us to get to. So we're going to take a look at the very end of Jesus' ministry. I mean, the end, right? This is Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is born. He lives. He preaches. He makes Pharisees mad at him. He rolls over tables. He ultimately dies and uh, rises again. And then he does the ministry, uh, even in his resurrected body. And then he gets ready to go to be with God uh, in eternity uh, in heaven. And he leaves the, the apostles, the disciples with this, um, with this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always, even till the end of the age. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the most inspiring, supernatural, mesmerizing human being on the planet goes, hey, what I did, who I am, I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. Just like I made you to be my disciples, I want you to go and make disciples. And so he just fully demystifies it. And so if we want to recognize, we want to share the way, then we need to take this like unconscious things that we do and make them conscious so that we can actually know what are the things that we need to do to grow in our walk with God. But even more importantly, we need to know what those things are so that we can share those things with others. Because if we, what a crime it would be is if people were just inspired by us or were thankful for us or the things that we got to do and be used by God. And they're like, well, that's cool, but we never help them connect the dots. It's no, it's not like a special thing. It's not because I'm a great person. It's not anything other than I am a follower of Christ and I am following the way, okay? So the first thing to do is let's just take a look at Jesus. And uh, there's a, a couple different discipleship books who've used the same blessing. I went down this rabbit hole on the internet. I couldn't find the exact um, where it came from, but enough people use it that I'm gonna at least draft behind them. But the, there's this Jewish blessing that says this, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi which I think is such a, such a poetic way to say, I want to be so close to Jesus 
that I'm walking in his steps, that when he's walking down the dusty road, the dust comes up off his, sh- off his shoes, right, and onto me. Like I am drafting behind him. And not just to be dusty, that's kind of gross, but the, the metaphor of being so close to Jesus, walking so closely in his ways that I'm walking with him, I'm walking like him, I'm being transformed into his image. What a beautiful thing. May I be covered in the dust of my rabbi. And so when we think about this idea, what does it mean to be, uh, to give away the way, then we want to look at the person who is the way, right? In John uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. Early Christians referred to being Christians as the way, right? Christians as being little Christ. This idea that we are to be followers of Jesus so intimately that we are many Jesuses. And the truth is that we are now his body, right? His hands and his feet. So we want to walk so closely. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus very simply did four things. And those four things are actually the four things that we can do. He says, hey, come and see. You're interested in what I'm doing? You're interested in this thing that's happening in around me? Just come and see. Hang out. And you see in Jesus' ministry, thousands of people just came and saw. It's like, whoa. That's pretty cool. Some people got really close. Some people had their free meal and walked away. But Jesus just said, hey, the door is wide open. If you want to come and see what God is up to, come and see. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter their socioeconomic status. It didn't matter their rank. It didn't matter their smarts. It didn't matter anything. It just said, whoever they were, come and see. And then the people who were around him, he then would invite them and say, come and follow me. Right? Jesus was a rabbi. Come and walk in my pathways. And there's a whole range of people that walked with him. There was, you know, Jesus' three best friends. There was the 12 disciples. There was the 72, right? There's like these different concentric circles of people who would come and follow Jesus. And as they followed him, they learned about his teachings. They learned about his rhythms. They learned about his ethics. And they became to learn what it was to be a follower of Jesus. But what I love is, because you never hear about the 72. There's this group of people that were followers of Jesus that Jesus did send out to go do ministry. But I love it that Jesus goes, no, there's the 12 and then there was the three because there's something that I think is so cool about God is that he just longs for there to be intimacy. That it's not just this rabbi-teacher relationship, like be a good student, be a good servant, do these things. But Jesus wants friendship. Isn't that wild that Jesus wants friendship with us. He wants us to actually be with him. And so it's not just come and follow, but it's come and be with him, to abide in him, right? To be so connected to him. Jesus' prayer for the church is that we would be one, right? Him and the Father are one, that his idea of intimacy is so important to him. And then the idea is if you come and see and you come and follow and you come and be with him, then the idea is that you're going to be then transformed. And then you're going to go and bear fruit and then you're going to go and be his disciples, and you're going to model that behavior so that the whole world will know. And the truth is, here we are 2,000 years later in Marin County, and somehow we are sitting in church. Our hearts are warm towards God. We're becoming Christians because thousands and thousands and thousands of people before us have been faithful to this call and have passed that on to us. And now we get the baton, and it's our turn to pass it on. So there's a couple of questions that I have for, for us. One is this. Do you have a life worth imitating? Right? Jesus, they, he was lived his life, and he, the way he lived his life, people were like, what is going on with that guy? And they wanted to be close to him. And so do you have a life that is worth imitating? And what's interesting is the assumption of Scripture is you, you should, right? Because what's the assumption of Scripture? That you are the salt of the world, earth, right? That you are the light, uh, you're the city on a hill, you're the light 
uh, yeah, you're sitting on the hill, you're the fragrance of Christ, that there should be something that's unique about you that's so countercultural to who you are, that there's something about you that should cause people to go, whoa, there is something different about you, right? Not that you're the biggest jerk in the room or the most self-righteous person in the room. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are so steeped in grace and mercy in generosity, in compassion, in justice, that when we're standing up for people being bullied or people making off comments at work, like there's something about that that's like, whoa, you're always defending not just your tribe, but everybody. There's something unique about that. You're always so generous. You're always so kind. What is going on with you? And like, so are you a person who, what does that say, right? That, do you have a life worth imitating? And because it, the whole point of discipleship, the way you share the way is that ultimately you want people to come and be near you so you can share your life. But if you don't have a life that's worth imitating, then what are you going to share with people? And uh, what I love is, uh, I mean, our church is jam-packed full of people whose lives are worth imitating. So if you're like, I'm not so sure if my life is, then the best part is, well, then the next step is, we'll find somebody whose life is worth imitating and get to know them. My son, he's, he's in college and he's trying to figure out um, what kind of life he's, he wants to live. And uh, he definitely knows he does not want to be a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. But that's my lane. I've, I don't know anything else, right? And so, uh, so last year, senior year, I'm like, hey, Noah, I want you to pick four guys whose lives you respect. Take them out to lunch and just ask them about their lives. And, he, and he, he did. I was actually super surprised. And, uh, and he did. And he took these guys out. And how cool that three of those guys are guys in our church. Um, and they got to talk about their business, their process, their degrees, how God informed them, how God changed them. And it was like this pathway because he got to go, oh, you're who I want to be like. Help me get there. And how cool. Our church is jam-packed full of them. George, right here, first row. Hillary, right here, first row. I mean, I could just go every single row. There are people whose lives are worth imitating. So, is your life worth imitating? And if it's not worth imitating, oh, find somebody's whose is. And now here's the big part. Well, like I said, mentioned earlier, we have this unconscious competency where we go, I've just been going to church and I pray and I do things and somehow God just changed me. But the truth is you have been doing things. And if, if you're not sure what you're doing, then how do you pass on those things to other people? You have to take that unconscious competency and actually make it conscious. And so the question is, do you have a plan that can be imitated? So not only do you have a life um, that needs to be imitated, but you also need to have a plan that can be I mean, imitated, right? Jeff is so inspiring and he has all these things. But the truth is, if you want to make the best coffee, Jeff can sit you down for two hours and walk you through <laughs> the plan to have the best coffee, right? But what happens is we go, oh, you make such good coffee. You're so inspired by it. Yeah, good luck out there. Go figure it out. Oh, you want to be a runner? Yeah, good luck. Go figure it out. Oh, you think this is cool, this Jesus thing? Oh, go figure it out. That is not helpful. And so what we want to do is we want to take a step back and go, do you have a plan that can be uh, imitated? And the truth is, Christians have been doing this forever. We've talked about it forever as a church. We want to be people who have a rule of life, right? We want to have a, Jesus, uh, a Jesus-shaped life. We want part of our life to be centered on God and worship of Him. Some of our life to be centered around being in community and with people. We want some of our life to be putting our life and faith into action and to think about how to do that. Right? There's spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and scripture reading, scripture memorization, giving, community. There's all these disciplines that go into creating a rule of life. Now here's for a little bit of a commercial. Did you know this? On our website, under the resource page, there's a discipleship curriculum. And one of the things is a rule of life. And it actually walks you through a month-long process of how to come up with a rule of life. 
And a rule of life, A, helps you train yourself, it trains your body, it trains your soul so you can be these spiritual giants that God longs for us to be. But for this context, it actually is a life that can then can be imitated. It's a way and a pathway that you can communicate to somebody else very clearly, oh, how do you love God the way that you do? Oh, well, this is the music I listen to. This is what time I wake up. This is how I read scripture. This is how I journal, this, right? And then what's so fun is you get to pass it on and then they get to try that on their own. And then what's so cool is that God is so generous and kind and complex that as we figured out, God graciously helps us find ways that actually work for us. So the things that work exactly for me aren't gonna work for you, but there are the bare bones that we need to be on the way. So do you have a plan that can be imitated? And then third, third is this, are you willing to walk with somebody to help them figure it out. Gosh, so we want to be spiritual giants. We want to be followers of Christ. We want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and have his dust cover us. That's what we want. But the hard part is, are we willing then to also look back and invest our lives into somebody else? And there's this weird thing that's happening because none of us feel like spiritual giants. None of us feel like we have it all together. And so what's wild is now none of us feel like we can be people who can invest into others because you know my life. You know how I'm it all together. You know how my problems, my issues. And, uh, and then we don't, we don't pass it on at all. But the reality is we should always be passing on. There's always somebody who's more of a screw up than you. Don't worry, right? There's always somebody who is, who is further behind in their walk with God with you, right? And not in a judgmental way, but in a way that should give us hope, in a way that goes, oh my goodness, God has actually changed me. God has actually transformed me. All of those things that I have been doing, he has done this thing in me. And so while I want to always be looked forward to people who can continue to mentor me, who can continue to inspire me, who can continue to help me know Jesus in a deeper way, I'm going to miss it totally if I'm not also looking backwards and going, God, who have you put in my life? Right? Because if we're the fragrance of Christ, we're the smell of life to those who are being saved, then the chances are that there are people in your life who are attracted to you, not just because of your beauty and not just because of your hospitality and good cooking, but they're attracted to you because in a spiritual sense, they're like, whoa, there's something unique about who you are and I want that. And are you willing to open up your home, to open up your life, to open up your space, to make sure that you can do that path with somebody else? I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says this, right? Because we loved you so much, this is what I love. Everyone gives the Bible such a hard time. They give the God of the Old Testament a hard time. They give Jesus a hard time. They give Paul a hard time. Dude, these people love. Now they're ancient people, so they love differently than we love. Like they didn't have Hallmark back then, but they loved. <laughs> Paul loved. He didn't just do these missions because he just was like, I want to be a God's servant and I'm going to do these things. He did it because he loved God. God so radically changed his life and met him and he experienced God's love and he wanted other people to experience the love of God and the kindness of God that he sold his whole life. So he says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, not only the gospel of God, sorry, but our lives as well. That's so beautiful. Because I think sometimes we think, I'm just gonna share the gospel with you. Oh, I did it, checked. Oh, I'm just gonna share this one thing with you. Oh, I prayed with you. But what a different thing to say, no, of course we wanna share the gospel. Of course we wanna share the good news, but how much more if we can actually share our lives? Because at the end of the day, that's what the whole gospel is about. The gospel, we're saved so that we can have an intimate relationship with God for all of eternity. We get to sit at the banquet table with God. That's the gospel. The gospel is that we get to be reconciled with one another so we can actually be in deep friendship with one another, 
right? So the gospel is not just an intellectual thing that you communicate with somebody. It is ultimately sharing our lives, giving a picture of heaven on earth as we share our lives with one another. Well, the people that I think do this the best is because these are the people who actually take formation seriously. And they, truthfully, they got their idea from the church. We just forgot about it. But I think the recovery community crushes this. People who are addicts, they know, gosh, I cannot do this on my own. And people who are addicts and don't want to be addicts anymore, they look around and see, like they can pick each other out in a crowd. They go, oh, you used to be an addict. What's funny, I wasn't an addict, but all my addict friends were like, you used to be an addict. I'm like, <laughs> and the truth is, if you know me, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have, I have some brokenness around that for sure. But they see and they can sense, and they go, oh, yep, you're it. And so because of it, they go, oh, you used to be an addict, but you're sober. How did you do it? And what I love about the recovery community is that there's these three things. One, it's radical confession. You don't get to be in an addict community. You don't get to sit around the table without acknowledging that you are an addict. This is my name, and I'm an addict. And I'm like, oh, glad you're here. There's no pretense. This is who I am. Radical confession. It was so wild. This radical confession means radical acceptance. Once you lay that on the once you put that out there, well, then what else are you hiding from? Then you're in, right? And then you get to actually live life. And I love every community, a recovery community that I get to kind of be a part of. I'm so impressed with the radical candor and acceptance because they begin with uh, confession. Then the second thing is they have the steps, right? The 12 steps, and they work those things. They don't just go, hey, you made it, you confessed it, good luck out there. No way. There is, a, there is the way. They are the ultimate Mandalorians, right? You do this, you do this, you do this. There is a way, and it is very clear. And you don't deviate. You're like, listen, I'm glad you think you don't need to do step 11. You need to do step 11. But in the church, we're like, no, no, I don't need to do that, right? We've like deviated. But the truth is, and what's so fun is David Brown's leading this whole ministry of like going back to the roots of a recovery ministry and realizing that, oh my goodness, all this stuff is found in scripture. These guys were hardcore Jesus-loving people who wanted people to be transformed by Jesus. How cool is that, right? So you have a radical confession. There are steps that you have to take, but then you also have to do it with other people. If you're not going to a meeting, if you don't have a sponsor, if you don't have a sponsee, then you have missed the boat. And if you do those three things, what's wild is you actually have a pretty good chance of moving out of addiction and moving into sobriety and having your life changed. And our whole county is full of people who have decades and decades of sobriety because of those three things. And the truth is, those are the Christian things. They got them from us. We just actually need to remind ourselves and get into the way and go, oh, yes, we are people who are saved by grace. We have radical confession. We need Jesus. We need the gospel to mold us and shape us and change us forever. We need to own that, and we need to lean into that, and we need to be thankful for our salvation every day. There are steps. We don't, have, we don't call them the 12 steps, but there are spiritual disciplines. There's a rule of life. If we want to be people who are moving towards Christ, and not just to be for, for sobriety, but for actual transformation and to be used in the kingdom of God forever, then we need to be, have a plan of action for our walk with God to develop a rule of life. And then third is, man, we have to do it with people. If you're just doing it all by yourself, and what's crazy is COVID just taught us all we could do it by ourselves. It's heartbreaking that people go, oh, my favorite pastor is now, you know, in this other church four states away. I'm like, I'm, they're an incredible teacher, but they're not going to get to walk with you in the day-to-day, year-to-year of your life. 
and we've taken teaching and intellectual ascent to being discipleship, but no, we walk in the path of our rabbi, right? And what I love is at the end of every uh, recovery meeting, you say the Lord's Prayer, and, uh, and then they say, um, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. That's it. That is the gospel. That is the way. And I think that's the invitation that God has for us, that we all have different gifts. We all do it differently. But to keep coming back, and it works if you work it. And how does it work? It works it by being people who live an inspiring life. Not like somebody else, but like you, your best version. Be the fragrance of Christ. Be inspiring. And when people want to understand what is unique and different about you, then you get to share that with other people. And that you get to share not just, oh, it's about this thing. It's about the gospel. But that you share the way with people. And then master's level is you invite people into your life. So here's the last question. Will you join us on mission to model this way to our county? Because the truth is, I love our church. I love our worship team. I love that we gather on a Sunday. And it's so good for my soul to be together every Sunday to remind ourselves of the truth. But this is one hour out of 168 hours of the week. There's 167 other hours where you are out in the world. And you're out there for a purpose. God brought you to Marin. God brought you to your family. God brought you to your roommate. God brought you to your job. And you get to be the fragrance of Christ anywhere you are in Marin. And God wants to use you wherever you are in Marin. I love this passage uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, which I feel like is like, would be kind of like our theme as a church. If you could just, this is it. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord. Be on this journey to move towards Christ. What are we about? We are about people who are moving towards Christ with all of who we are. We revere him. And if we're going to revere him, our lives are going to be changed. And so if our lives are going to be changed, then what does it say? To be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, not for the reason of your self-righteousness, not for the reason why you're no fun at every party. No one cares about those things. But for the hope that you have, the way that you've been changed and transformed, what is the reason for that? And then in the classic Marin County way, how do we do it? With gentleness and respect. <laughs> okay, people? <laughs> With gentleness and respect. And so as we wrap up our whole series here, um, we, 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 brought, we, I, we got these little things. They're, they're called challenge coins. And the reason for uh, someone in the military will have to tell you why they're called challenge coins. But these are these little coins that we bought. And we bought them for you. And we bought them for you because we want to remind you that the gospel is so good that because of the gospel, Jesus has invited you to be his daughter, his son, to sit at his banquet table, to be in relationship and friendship with God. That is who you are. It doesn't matter how bad you feel. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. But the truth of the truth, the gospel of Jesus means that you are God's daughter or son. And because of that, God actually has a purpose for you. And we will, so we got these for you so that you would keep these on your person so you would remind yourselves, oh, I am God's woman, I am God's man, I am God's friend, and God wants to use me, right? And what's fun is there's a little picture of Murray and Covenant, our little logo right here. There's a little 
Someone thought it was an alligator, but it's actually a little picture of Marin. And, um, and Mark, you know, put a little dot in Sonoma. So for the Sonoma people, they can add that. But to remind yourselves that this is your calling. This is your spot. Wherever you go throughout your day, wherever you go throughout your week, that you remind yourself that you are God's person and God wants to use you and you are on mission. Part of being a disciple of Christ, part of being the way, part of being people who have encountered the love of God is people who get to share that away, who get to give that away. God's generosity towards us means we get to be generous towards one another. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite up Pastor Jeff and, um, and he's gonna come and pray over us um, as we get ready to launch this. And what'll happen is when he's done praying, uh, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship. And I'd just love for you to come forward and take a coin. If you know someone who's not here and you wanna give them a hard time, you can take a coin for them and you can give it to them as well. Um, and we just hope that this is just a generous reminder of who you are and whose you are and what you get to be about. Friends, let's stand together to honor the presence of the Lord in this room, that we're people who stand behind him, that walk in his dust, and that desire nothing more than to be his people. Let's pray together. Father God, I just am asking that this incredible message that Ben preached and reminded us of that this, what we have is so, so good, and we get to share with the world the way. I pray, God, that in this experience, even of this, this song of response, of, of, of coming and taking a hold of this uh, challenge coin, this reminder, that you would imprint in those who are hungering, God, to be your people, that you would imprint deeply in them the longing that first, they're yours, Second, they're part of a community that does this together. And third, that they long to let everyone know how good this is, that there's a way. There's a way to come alive spiritually. There's a way to find Jesus. And because we found Jesus, to be reunited and reconciled and restored to a relationship with the God who made us. And so I pray, Father God, that this is an imprinting moment for us, not just a silly little ritual, but a moment where you capture our hearts and remind us to be your people. And what a joy that is. What freedom that is. I'm reminded that Jesus said that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. How can that be? It has to be because, God, you make a way for us to be your people in our way, according to who we are, right where we are, with love and with joy. That's light and easy and real. And so God, meet us now as we come, grab a hold of one of these coins and give ourselves to being a light to the world. I pray this over our people in Jesus' name, amen.